Hello, and welcome to the Kidney Cast. I'm Laura Morris. And I'm Ari Deckard. And this is our podcast where I interview Ari about his experiences with Alport syndrome, his three kidney transplants, and all of his other health and <laughs> medical experiences. So this is our first new episode in a little while. Yeah. We promised that when we had new stuff to talk about, we would make new episodes of the podcast. And we thought, hey, enough enough is built up that we could actually have a conversation and have a worthwhile episode to talk. Yeah, right. Yeah. So the first thing that you and I wanted to talk about is that we just last weekend went and saw a movie. Yay. That's right, everybody. This is a big, big deal. Fresh news. We saw a movie. And normally we wouldn't talk about the movies that we're going to see on our podcast, <laughs> but because this movie in particular relates to health and medical stuff and touches on some experiences that you and I have had, right? we thought, actually, this relates to our podcast. <laughs> yes. And you know, we spent a whole earlier episode where we talked about how badly movies and television portray transplants mm -hmm. or deal with, deal with organ donation and... If we're going to rake movies over the coals a lot, then when one does a really good job or portrays an experience really accurately, I wanted to talk about it. Mm -hmm. And so while this isn't a movie about transplants, it is a movie that really does relate to medical experiences and kind of being in a couple where somebody gets really sick. Yeah, it's, it's, <laughs> we've, we've lived that. So the, the movie is called The Big Sick, and it's Camille Nanjiani's story of him and his wife and their early relationship and uh, sort of some issues with his family and things like that. And then she gets very, very sick and has a really serious health issue. And through the course of that, then he gets to know her family. And it's, you know, it's a, a rom-com. And so I was going to say, and then hilarity ensues. Um, it's not that kind of movie, but it is. It's funny. It's, it is, it's funny. Uh, there's plenty of calm and there's plenty of rom. And it's, um, it's a really, it's a really nice, sweet, um, yeah, funny, warm, great movie, I thought. Yeah. And you and I really related to it a lot. Mm -hmm. You have never been in a coma. Uh, no. But you have gone through medical experiences where you were sleeping most of a day. Yeah. And when you were up, you were out of it. Right. And so it was interesting to see this movie portray something that I have experienced in a way. I got to know your parents when mm -hmm. we were very first dating when you were in a hospital. Right. And that's a weird thing. It's a, it's a very <laughs> weird specific experience because it kind of takes the... All the stuff, all the typical stuff about meeting your significant other's parents in that early part of the relationship mm -hmm. and puts it in a very weird scenario. Yeah, I we were talking about this, I think, when we were leaving the movie, that often when your new person is meeting your family or friends, you kind of take the role of shepherd or... Sometimes a little bit shield, like, okay, so I'm going to present to you this person and I will do a lot of the talking and guide the conversation so that it is comfortable for everybody involved because it's a kind of medium to high stakes conversation. Yeah, you're both the guide and the ambassador for your own family and for your significant other. Right, right. And that makes sense because you are the thing that they have in common and all that stuff. And in both the situation in the movie and in our real life, um, said ambassador and guide is absent. I mean, physically there, but other than that, just like, well, good luck. Right. You were 
really out of it and unconscious a lot. And I had met your parents a couple times, like we'd been to a dinner yeah. or something. Yeah, we'd done a couple of things. But I really got to know your parents in the hospital while you were going through a health crisis. Mm-hmm. And it is a little bit like, oh, I've I've wandered into this town without my <laughs> tour guide. And, and also, um, when you're getting to know people, there's a sense of social propriety mm-hmm. about you don't get really emotionally intense with people you've just met. Right. You, you demonstrate good judgment. You don't talk about all the worst things that have ever happened in your life mm-hmm. right up front. But I'm getting to know your parents and like my boyfriend, who I love very much, and their child, who they love very much, is in the hospital. And we are in a hospital. Mm-hmm. And it's awkward. Yeah. And the future was really uncertain mm-hmm. about a lot of things there. Yeah. And so I really connected with that experience, <laughs> that whole part of this movie, because they get it really really right. There's lots of little details about how that experience works and why it's weird and hard, but also why it's funny. And mm-hmm. I found it really charming and specific. And yeah. Like, and yeah, just all the hospital stuff that they got really right. Yeah. <laughs> really, really right. Well, I'd, I think the funny thing is that, or for me, a funny thing is that I, I found myself really relating to this movie. And then I had to step back at one point and go, who exactly am I relating to in this situation? I guess the woman in the coma? <laughs> like, that's weird. <laughs> she is essentially a non-character for part of this movie. But that's not true. And I, I will say one of the things yeah. this movie does super successfully is it it's setting up a romantic story where one of the parties is going to be out of it for a significant chunk of the movie. Mm-hmm. So the first part of the movie has to do a lot of work to get you to like her, to get you to understand her and root for the relationship. Yeah. So that that second half works at all. Yeah, totally agreed. And I, I don't mean to say that she's not actually present. You know, she's still a character. She's still very present and active. You know, she's a motivation for a lot of people's actions and her situation is and things like that. But... She doesn't really have dialogue. You know, she's often not physically in the room where things are happening. And, you know, that's, I was like, oh, that's me, I guess. Um, but you're very right about them getting so many things right. Right. And I think because this is based on a real, the real story that these people yeah. went through, they get beat for beat everything right. You know, when he first goes into the emergency room because things are going wrong with her, that experience felt totally true and that feeling of disorientation and trying to find your person Mm -hmm. and the things that are going on really immediately close to you with other people and how that ramps up your stress level and dealing with sort of these nurses who are strangers to you right now and trying to figure out what the procedure is and where you fit in. Mm -hmm. And all of that felt really intense and close to me again. Like I'm like, oh, I I know all of those things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I've been to the emergency room, you know, actually under my own cognizance. And it's a weird place because almost everybody there, whether they actually are the person with a medical issue or not, is in a state of this is very, very important. But there is an actual hierarchy of importance. Maybe somebody's coming in from a, a car accident or having been you know, shot or something, and you're there and you're in a lot of pain, but honestly... You can wait. You can wait. It's going to really, really suck, but you can wait. But to you, you're like, no, I, I hurt, like, a lot. <laughs> <laughs> or or you're with your person that you care about, and you're like, no, but they hurt. I want that taken care of right now. Mm-hmm. And, you know, whoever's in charge is like, mm, eh, no. Or they just walk off because they have something that's actually more urgent. And they give a really good job of dealing with that. 
there's this other thing later that <laughs> I thought was a small detail that I'm sure was at least somewhat true to their story, because it has to have been, um, that was also very real to me, where conversations have to be had, serious conversations in the hospital about somebody's future or what's actually going on right now. What are the next steps? What Here's are the, next the steps? test that we did, what we found out. Yeah, yeah, all of those things. And what's weird is that a lot of hospitals kind of haven't figured out that they need a space for that. Like many of those kind of conversations just happen in the actual patient's room. And this part isn't a thing in the movie, but more in our experience where, you know, there's usually a roommate or four in that room. And I've been the roommate for some very, very serious, serious conversations. And I'm trying to go, um, I'm not listening. You know, that's that's awkward. And I've also just been, well, we're going to have this super serious conversation about, let's say, my genitals with somebody that I don't know three feet away across a, a curtain. And that just kind of happens. But there's also the other sort of situation, which is in the movie, where sometimes they need to talk to family members about what's happening. And there's supposed to be spaces for that, but there often just aren't. And so in the movie, they end up meeting multiple times in what is the grief room. Yeah. And <laughs> we laughed a little bit too long and too hard in that in that movie theater because, you know, I don't think we've ever experienced that specific thing. But the fact that that was it, first of all, is funny, darkly funny, but it's also super true mm -hmm. that, well, this is not the room we would choose, but it is a room. It's got four, four walls and it's got a, a door and we can go in there and talk. But don't don't read anything into it, you know, and like, okay, well, that I can't not, you know. Yeah, I, there were other parts about those scenes where they talked to doctors that also rang so true <laughs> to me because, you know, he's the boyfriend in this right. scenario and the parents are the ones who have to handle this because it's their kid. Right. They are way more versed in everything going on with their kid and they're the ones who have legal and mm -hmm. rights to make decisions. And so they're there at the front of the table and there's this scene where they show them talking to the doctor in some kind of office <laughs> and he's sort of trying to stay in the conversation but out of the way and is kind of standing in a bush in the, yeah. in the office. <laughs> sort of behind a fern. And I, I identified with that so strongly. <laughs> <laughs> well, I would also say, and again, this is your experience, so I'm not trying to like explain your experience but there's a, a certain point in that kind of relationship which i think they also show where like yes they are her parents um yes they're the ones who have to make legal decisions for that reason and they have known her her whole life but in a more immediate sense he knows more about her day-to-day -day recent life than they do because they live in different cities and there's stuff like that and that's a really weird space to negotiate. You know, he has no anything there. He, I mean, he has status, but he has no status. And you had status, but no status. But you had information and stakes. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the movie super well portrays that. And I think, at least for me, and I, I think for you too, it reminded me like, well, did we actually talk about that on the podcast? Because there's all these sort of little things in, in gaps that we don't think about that they just we're all in the movie and we're so good. <laughs> well, yeah, I remember being in the emergency room with your mom and you were sleeping and we were hanging. Like you hadn't even gotten a room yet. This was one mm. of your many weeks stay in the hospital that was just beginning. And we were just hanging out and I <laughs> did not know her very well. I was telling her, like, here's some things about Ari that I 
that I like. I like this way that he tells jokes and I like this kind of thing. And she was really nice. But I, I remember, and it's been so many years, right? Like, oh, yeah, I remember there was a time when, like, I was kind of shy around your mom. And mm-hmm. she was a little bit more reserved because she didn't know me that well. But, yeah, you know, I also remember that they were way more experienced at being with Ari in the hospital. And that was incredibly helpful that, you know, Mm. you weren't there to be sort of the guide between, you know, (laughs) me and your family, but they were there kind of to be my guide about like, here's how to do sort of a stint in the hospital. Mm. I remember your mom, the first time she showed up, had more than one book that she had brought (laughs) so that I could read some of the books that she had brought. You know, that's, well, you hang around and wait. And that was a very sweet thing, but they were really experienced Mm -hmm. and they really, it's a very, even when there's a lot of uncertainty about your medical situation and the doctors don't actually know what's causing all these problems. Right. They were really calming. It's one of those things where like this starts to feel like, okay, they've got a routine for this so that I can chill out a little bit. Right. Yeah. So I guess in summary, uh, Big Sick is really, really good. It's really funny. I both laughed and cried. Right. I think we're talking a lot. He's so accurate about all this mega serious (laughs) stuff that like, yeah, I cried, but I cried when like the movie would have wanted me to. It mm-hmm. wasn't a bad experience for me. Oh, no, it was a fantastic experience. So it was funny and sweet, and I, I think it's a good romantic comedy, and I think it's people who have similar experiences to you and I might really identify with it and might really like it. Mm-hmm. And I think you would probably like it even if you don't identify with some of those things. Um, it, It's a movie that's really good at finding the comedy in in the real and in the, in the small, unexpected places. Yeah, I totally agree with that. So... We're not a pop culture podcast, but we solidly give it two kidneys up, I think. (laughs) (laughs) Or in my case, three. And I think I'm going to segue us to our next topic in the most natural way I can think of. This is so smooth. So zombies. Hey, oh, wow. Oh, no. Ah. I wanted to talk to you about zombies. Okay. (laughs) Because... You and I had a really interesting conversation recently. We're recording this in the summer. So a lot of TV shows that we watched had season finales a couple months ago. And one of the shows that we watch is iZombie, which is a show on the CW about um, a woman who was infected by a zombie. So now she is one. Mm -hmm. And she works as a medical examiner in the morgue so that she can eat brains and use her zombie (laughs) powers to help solve murders. Right. And one of the long running threads of the series is that she's really bummed out that she's a zombie and she wants to figure out if there's a cure for zombieism. And, you know, there's lots of, oh, woe is me about being infected. Mm -hmm. um, It's a really good show. I really, I I sound like I'm making fun of it in that synopsis, but we we enjoy (laughs) it. It's fun and cute. Yeah. But at the end of the most recent season finale, without giving much away, there was a story point where a person who was very sick or ill and might die was Mm. infected with zombieism to save their life. Right. And you said something really interesting to me about that, that I thought like, oh, you should talk about that on the podcast. (laughs) Well, I think I just said, oh, I would totally become a zombie. Um, Because, you know, my health is really pretty stable now and has been for several, several years. But the idea of basically never having to worry about that and healing super fast, um, not getting colds, because, you know, I get a cold that lasts for a week or two. <coughs> that idea was, and still is, super attractive to me. I mean, we watch lots of fantasy and sci-fi, and we read fantasy and sci-fi, and I feel like vampires and zombies have been kind of in for about, I don't know, five, eight years now, and 
this idea has been kind of present in the culture. Well, is it good? Is it bad? Well, what if this zombie had a, a heart or a soul or this vampire had whatever? You know, they, they mess around with it so many different ways. And the fact is that, like, one of the often ignored factors is that you're just never sick again. You know, you, like, you don't have to worry about that. And most people don't have to worry about that for the most part. They get, like, a cold every once in a while or maybe they get allergies. Um but I get a little bit or medium sick a lot, and this is the best health I've been in in, like, 20 years. Well, the thing that it really made me think about is that there's lots of these shows, like, oh, I am a cursed creature, and woe is me. <laughs> and that, especially in this show, but in vampire shows, like Angel or mm-hmm. other things, the, the terrible burden that the main character has to live with. Yeah, is not as bad as the disease that you live with already. <laughs> yeah, and I, I hadn't really thought of it that in context. Because, like, sure, I guess, I don't know, being able to move super fast would be cool, too. But that's not why. Like, I'll just take zombie light or vampire light or... I don't need any of the special powers. Right. I'll just eat brains and... <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It, and And the thing is, like, do I really want to be an evil creature of the night? No, I don't. But... Uh, it, well, and also, like, is it really that bad that I get light to medium sick pretty often? No, it's not. But that's been kind of present in my life for so long that when I see that, or to go away from, like, supernatural or horror into, like, superheroes, you know, I've always been into the the characters, they're usually Marvel characters, like uh, like Wolverine, who have a healing factor. You know, yeah, yeah, claws, whatever. I don't care. I, it'd be nice to be ripped like Hugh Jackman, but that is not what I'm interested in. The idea of, like, I would never be sick again. Yay! That's super cool. <laughs> um, and and like I, I think I said, most people don't think about that. You know, they think about the super healing ability as, like, having combat applications and that kind of stuff, which, sure, it does. But I'm just really... I don't like coughing, and I cough a lot, and... <laughs> And, uh, yeah, I guess it it speaks to my specific experience, but I would totally zombie it up. (laughs) You'd be willing to eat brains? (sighs) Well, the way it's portrayed on the show, it's like the most delicious food ever if you have that craving. So, sure, I guess, you know. Well, yeah, that show, the zombie rules are really different than on usual, typical zombie Mm -hmm. narratives where you're just a brainless killing machine. Right, right. Yeah, you only become that if you haven't had brains in a very long time. Right. Different stories had different vampire rules, too. I'd imagine you'd be willing to be some kinds of vampires, but not others. Yeah, probably. But I I think I will admit that when I was much sicker, like, I think the first time we watched Angel, for instance, I was on dialysis. Yeah, that's totally true. And I was like, yeah, sign me up. (laughs) You know, I I just... (laughs) It's going to really suck being evil, but... eh, You know? (laughs) But the idea of, like, okay, I could uh, not do this anymore. The only thing I would have to worry about is like going outside at the wrong time or maybe being accosted by a slayer. That sounded okay to me. <laughs> <laughs> it sounds less okay to me now. You know, the calculus is different. But um, certainly on dialysis, yeah, it, was, it seemed like a real viable fantasy option. I guess there's this vampires and zombies and whatever else they are. Magical cursed creatures. <laughs> yes, the, the magical cursed creatures thing are always portrayed as having a bunch of restrictions you know vampires 
can't go in sunlight. Uh, they sometimes don't like crucifixes or holy water and garlic, and I'm probably forgetting some things. Um, zombies on this show, as they were portrayed, you know, they have to eat brains or they become mindless monsters. They also, when they do eat brains, they tend to be kind of haunted by various memories and personality traits of the person whose brain it was, which, you know, can be funny, I guess, but would be a really weird way to live your life. And I'm, I'm sure that there are papers that could be written about and have been written about the metaphors that those kind of things are portraying. But part of what I was kind of realizing and what was encapsulated in me saying, you know, well, I'd be a zombie, is the fact that in my life, I already have a bunch of restrictions. And like, maybe I'd be fine trading my current restrictions for those ones. For the mythical ones? Yeah. Like, sunlight is, is a hard one. I do tend to be in, an indoor kid. Uh, but not being able to go out during the day safely would kind of restrict my life. And, you know, needing to survive on blood would be a challenge and things like that. But when I was on dialysis and I was more willing to be like a vampire, I was already living, I think, a more restricted life. Yeah, I would, I would agree with that. The amount of energy you had, the amount of time you had to spend inside anyway. Yeah. Or I'm, spend asleep. Right. I definitely slept a lot, a lot. I had like no energy. I had an extremely restricted diet. You know, if, if you wanted to kind of make specious comparisons in some ways, I was a vampire already. That's not really true, but (laughs) (laughs) you know, but like for me, that calculus was a reasonable one to a certain extent. Like, well, the fact that I would never have to do any of this nonsense again with this machine and the needles and the and the diet restrictions and being so tired and forgetting things and being cranky and, you know, pain and all all of the symptoms that come with that, with chronic kidney failure. Like, okay, so I'd have to work out a way that I, if I wanted to go somewhere I didn't go during sunlight hours? All right. Well, you were saying that a lot of these either folklore stories or now sort of fantasy and science fiction stories are metaphors. Yeah. And it... it makes me think, you know, like that is a little bit untapped as a metaphor for dealing with disability. Mm-hmm. And I think probably one of the reasons I'm happy that that isn't true is because I can I can only think of the many ways in which that would be done irresponsibly <laughs> and inaccurately. <laughs> but it is an interesting thing to think about. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, yeah, it probably is untapped, but it's probably, maybe I'm glad about that. I agree. But then, you know, I was mostly talking about the vampire thing. Even now, like I said, I feel pretty good, but... um the zombie thing where I would like never be sick is so appealing because I might go a couple of weeks. I might even go a month without being sick, but that's kind of the maximum. That's yeah, that seems right. And it's usually fairly mild and, you know, I'm used to it, but that's a lot. And it's it becomes more than a low level annoyance, you know, when it's kind of omnipresent. Well, here's the thing that occurred to me. And I'm curious about, because we've talked before about you being into fiction about mutants or, you know, superheroes, people with powers, people who are vampires or zombies and don't get sick. Do you think in any way your experiences with your health influence the fact that you are into these kinds of stories? That's a that's a really good question. Um, I was going to say maybe, and then I have to just say yes. Uh, maybe not in directly in the way you're talking about. The superhero or mutant stories that I was into, like the comic book things that I was into when I was younger, tended to be 
like X-Men stuff. And the X-Men were specifically created and written to be for teenagers who felt like they didn't fit in, which is all teenagers, <laughs> if we're being honest. And there are probably a lot of ways in which I would have felt like I didn't fit in or which I would not have fit in with plenty of people in my peer group if I had not had Alport syndrome. But because I do, almost everything was because of that. Or that was the most thing. I was sick all the time. I was the sick kid. You know, I was also in band. I also had kind of a dorky haircut. I also wore glasses. I was also very skinny. I There were plenty of other reasons for me to be a dorky outcast. But the main reason <laughs> that I was for primary and secondary effects was, was my health. And so like, oh, well you know, maybe I'm a mutant. I mean, not really. That's certainly not a thing I felt as a teenager. No, you are really. You have a mutated gene right. on your X chromosome. Totally true. And I would be lying if I didn't say that the first time I read some X-Men story when I was like 12, 13, and they started talking about, well, this person is having these weird symptoms. Oh, look, it's because their mutant powers manifest when they start to go through puberty. And I was like, I'm having weird systems, maybe. Oh, no. No, it's a comic <laughs> book. Um, but that's, that's a lot of the fun of comic books for some people, including me. So, yeah, the answer is pretty unequivocally, yeah, of course. You know, and I, I like them for a lot of reasons that other people like them, too. You know, fun, silly stories, interesting costumes, crazy things going on. But, um, yeah, you know, there was definitely a thing to identify with. And, and some really specific wish fulfillment. You know, like, that person never gets sick. As, you know, as a teenager and, you know, now I'm 40 and still, yeah, I, I, I'd be down with that. And the last thing we wanted to talk about is that the reason that we're recording this in late summer. Yeah. After, you know, long after this TV conversation we had <laughs> is that we went on vacation. We did. And I don't really think we want to like spend a bunch of time just showing you our audio versions of our vacation slide show. No, we don't need to do that. But I was thinking about how both of us during this vacation had several moments where we talked about how lucky we felt that you have a transplant and mm -hmm. that we're able to travel without restrictions or travel without a dialysis machine and that it's probably good to talk about how good life can be with a transplant, how good life can be when you get things fixed up with your health and how happy you can be and without restrictions. <laughs> yeah, for me, this was brought into much sharper focus because while we were overseas, I saw a few posts on the Alport Syndrome Foundation support group page online on Facebook, kind of talking about, oh no, um, this thing happened. There are various things that happened. Uh, somebody was going to need a transplant or somebody had just found out that their kids were diagnosed. And there were a lot of people going, oh, this is bad news. And I really felt for those people. I've been in those situations a lot. And I was thinking, um, but it gets better. I've been there um, many times, but here I am. I made it through that. And I'm not just okay. I'm on this great vacation overseas. I don't have to have dialysis anymore. I have a working transplant. We're seeing all these great sites and having a wonderful time. And it, it was just, it was nice to realize that. And I hope also, you know, people in similar situations can go like, okay, well, this stinks now, but there is the possibility. And it's, I think, a, a pretty good possibility that it's going to get better, um, that 
what we did in traveling, other people can and hopefully will also be able to do once they have their transplant or once this particular episode is cleared up. Yeah, and we've talked a lot on the podcast about, you know, when you were on dialysis and our decision to just let's focus on being as happy as we can Mm -hmm. with our lives right now with the restrictions that are there. Yeah. And once you got a transplant, saying let's really take advantage of it. Let's save up. Let's go on vacations. Let's go live that life and check off all the things that were on our (laughs) list of things we really wish we could do Yeah. back when you were on dialysis. And I think that's important because sometimes... I will catch myself feeling a little bit guilty because you know, we've trained ourselves when money was really tight, when you were really sick, to be really frugal and yeah. to not do a lot with luxuries. And to realize like, oh, I don't have to feel guilty about spending money. This is the thing that I want to do. And this is sort of a moment of triumph that Ari is healthy mm-hmm. and that we can finally do those things. And we don't know how long this transplant will last. Hopefully, as long as you need it to. But yeah. I want to take advantage of your health and this kidney while it's here as much as we possibly can. And it was really fantastic to get to do that. Yeah, it really was. And I would add that it was really noticeable a couple of times because a lot of the places that we went uh, had a lot of stairs. We did a lot of stairs on this trip. And that was great. And, you know, and a lot of walking and, and things like that. And when I was on dialysis, you know, they always told, oh, you can travel and you can take this machine or you can, you know, do visitor dialysis. You know, they they made a big deal about that. And all of that is true. But even though I am in no way a person that would consider themselves like in shape or even in good shape, um, I was able to do the stairs. You know, I wasn't having to like pause every three or just say, you know what, that's like 300 stairs. I don't think I can do that. I'll have to just trust you that the view is amazing. I did all of it. And, you know, yeah, it was exhausting because I'm not in shape, but it was doable. So it was fun. Just having the transplant in many ways was enough. And, you know, (laughs) I, I wish I had other specific examples, but that it's really nice to be in a place, even with this disease that I have, where I can basically do the things I want to do. I'm basically healthy. As much as I just talked about, I would love to be a zombie because I would be actually completely healthy. <laughs> I'm, I'm basically healthy. You know, some of that is really just to take away the little, I don't know, fear that is in the back of my head sometimes that, well, but sometime soon I might not be. And But I, you know, I have been and I continue to be. And so we were able to go on a great vacation and take all the stairs and see all the views. And it was it was really awesome. And so you've already partially answered this question. But Mm. Ari, how are you feeling lately? (laughs) I'm feeling pretty well. Um, I did seem to get some kind of cough at the uh, sort of towards the end of the trip. um, And I'm a little stuffed up. But, you know, in the interim, like almost since the last time we recorded, I haven't really had much problems um, in that 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 regard. So pretty good. I went on a great vacation. It's summer. I'm having some some nice time off. It's great. I'm really happy about it. <laughs> yeah. Thank you to everybody for listening to our KidneyCast update. Yeah, thank you. You can get all the KidneyCast episodes on my website, lauramorris.com. We're also on iTunes and Stitcher and other podcast services. Mm-hmm. We're on Twitter at KidneyCast and Facebook.com slash KidneyCast. Mm -hmm. You can send us an email, KidneyCast at gmail.com. 
just because we're not doing regular episodes does not mean that I'm not still getting those emails and we respond to everything we get. Yeah. And if any new or interesting questions come in, we might just do another short episode to, to <laughs> respond to that. So if you've got a good question, send it in. Or if you just have comments or want to get in touch with us, we, we do respond. So Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much for listening and we'll chat with you guys again when we've got another episode. <laughs> Thanks, everyone.